What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. My mother kept secrets and spoke to me in a kind of code. Nothing was straightforward. From childhood, I had to figure out how to read her mind, to intuit the contours of her reality. If I developed empathy at first, it wasn't so much a way to find connection as a survival strategy. My parents gave me burdens in childhood that I honed into gifts. That's Sherry Turkle. Sherry is a professor at MIT, where she is also founding director of the MIT Initiative on Technology and Self. Her most recent book is The Empathy Diaries, a memoir. Sherry's is a layered story of many secrets, and thrumming at the center of them all, a massive secret she is asked to keep from the time she's a very small child, one that slices to the core of her identity. I'm Danny Shapiro, and this is Family Secrets. The secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. There were two landscapes of my childhood. There was a Brooklyn landscape and a Rockaway landscape. We lived in Brooklyn, in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn, 
which were wonderful streets with grocery stores and hardware stores and five and dimes and a richly textured urban environment. We lived near Prospect Park. So there was a playground and a parade grounds and Brooklyn of my youth was a wonderful place for children. We bounced balls and played jacks on the sidewalk and there were hardly any cars and um it was really a um a very idyllic street life a kind of urban street life it made me love the texture of city life but in the house the boundaries of our home it was a life where no strangers were allowed in the house On the other hand at Rockaway where we went in the summer we had the beach um Rockaway was very close to Brooklyn we went to the end of Church Avenue and then very soon you were crossing a bridge and you were in this spit of land that was a world away from Brooklyn a kind of summer retreat for lower middle class working people in New York City I think we paid $80 a season for our bungalow uh, in this bungalow colony. You'd have 8 or 10 bungalows, five facing each other with a court that had three cement pavers that made up this courtyard, and the social life of the summer was organized around these 10 bungalows in this court. And there would be fireworks on the boardwalk on Wednesday and there would be maybe a party in the court once a week and that you played with the children in the court there was a generational thing where the older people in the court watched the babies you know and the teenagers babysat for the younger children and everybody played mahjong and everybody played cards we amused each other by singing to each other It was really quite in another time. And this would have been in the in the 50s. Again, we had a court, we had neighbors, it was a much more social world, but my grandparents were intensely private and the life of our family was really enclosed in the world of our family. So even though we lived in a beach setting, we knew all the people in that little court. No one came onto our porch or into our home. We spoke porch to porch. So my childhood was a combination of seeing people in social spaces on the street, but really understanding that my family was very turned inwards and lived a life of secrets and privacy and almost kind of hypervigilance. as though we had secrets to hide and we were just in our family and didn't let people in this not allowing strangers in or anyone else in and staying on your porch and talking to other people from that distance was that particular to you i always knew that we were special because we were keeping secrets the secrets in sherry's family started out relatively small the lies seemingly innocuous and silly stuff like her mother lied about her height or her age one time her mom tried to pass off a store-bought knit beret a gift to Sherry 
as something she had knit herself. Even as a child, Cherry had the sense that something was off. She knew she couldn't totally trust the things her mother said or did. My world of secrets begins with my mother's character and my mother's ability, which I understood in so many ways, um, to live in the truth that pleased her. So, for example, she was 5'11", or perhaps six feet tall. She was very tall. And um, she didn't make her peace with that until she found out that Sid Charisse was 5'11". And then somehow she admitted to me that she was 5'11". She explained to me that when she was a single woman, every time she went to get her license renewed, she would explain to the uh, women at the uh, Bureau of Motor Vehicles that she needed to shave some inches off her height because a single woman shouldn't be 5'11". It's easier to get a husband if you were 5'10", or 5'9", or 5'8". I never quite understood that. But she had gotten herself down to 5'7", which was preposterous. By the time she died, and I actually looked in her handbag, I mean, she was down to 5'7", which, as I say, was preposterous because she was a beautiful, tall, magnificent woman. And she'd also gotten her age down to kind of a permanent 29. She was 29 when she married my father, and she was 29 six years later <laughs> when she when she married her second husband. And again, the way this was done, which was kind of by just explaining to the women at the registry for motor vehicles, um, you know, that she just needed to be younger to catch a husband or to uh, not to, you know, to make her husband feel more comfortable with her age. Uh, I don't know how she did it, but she aged very little, according to the uh, records, the New York Records Department. The thing she told about the hat is particularly interesting. There was, I have a very clear memory of uh, her coming to pick me up, I was at my grandparents' house, and she shows me this white hat, that she's this little knit hat that she said she had knit for me, and I had seen it in a five and ten store near my grandparents' home, and I knew she hadn't knitted, and I didn't know what to do. I was kind of paralyzed because I didn't understand. You know, I, I think I said thank you, but it, it upset me for years and years and years. This lie and seeing her as, as somebody who would tell lies that I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand their meaning or I, I kind of understood why she wanted to be shorter or younger. But why this hat? Why the hat, indeed. What Sherry couldn't have realized at the time, when she was given that hat at the age of eight, was that her mother had been coming from a doctor's appointment at which she had received a scary diagnosis. So when she was coming home from the doctor to pick Sherry up from her grandparents' house, she saw the knit cap at the five and dime and decided to bring her daughter a gift. But what came out of her mouth when she presented it, perhaps as a way of connecting with Sherry during a worrying time, was, I made this for you. I'm so struck by your mother's fantasies and her aspirations, but more than anything, her ability to bend the world to her will. She wanted to be a mother who would have knit that cap for you. So she became that uh, in that moment. I, my, my guess is that she was not aware at all that she was lying in that moment. She just 
decided that that was so the same way she decided she wasn't 5'11 or that she was 29. Yes. Yes. In these moments, she was taken up by how she wanted the world to be. I think that's exactly right, that she was capable of um, becoming how she wanted it to be and being the person she wanted to be. You know, in technical terms, they say that, you know, the neurotic style of hysteric is that they believe their wish. The lies they tell is the deepest possible wish. And I think that these wishes really structured her, her character. These wishes for herself, these wishes for me, really became who she was. Really became who she was. It's striking me, too, that you know, when you were a child, you lived in a kosher style. <laughs> yes. Um, and what that meant was that in the home, there wasn't pork and there wasn't shrimp and, you know, there wasn't seafood and milk and dairy and, and meat would be, I suppose, not eaten together. But when you would go out, particularly on Sundays, the Jewish ritual of going out for Chinese food on Sundays, that, you know, all bets were off, like apparently in Chinese restaurants— Pork was okay. Yes. These were my grandmother's ways of putting the world together. What the kosher laws meant was what you did in your home is where these kosher laws applied. And then what you did outside, that was a completely different story. None of the rules needed to apply there. So pork on the outside didn't count as breaking the rules. And again, it's making the world fit the way you want the world to be. It's very my family. <laughs> In my family, certainly, people constructed the world the way they wanted it to be. Beyond knit hats and secret pork, the greatest secret at the center of Sherry's childhood was her, her own identity, her very name. My name was Sherry Zimmerman, and I hadn't seen that name or heard that name really until I started school. And legally, that name had to be on a piece of paper. But I was just part of the Bonowitz clan, which was my family name, my, my grandparents' name. My mother had divorced my father, whose name was Charles Zimmerman. And when she went back to live with her parents, uh, Robert and Edith Bonowitz, I was just Sherry. I was told that I was never to mention my father or his name. They were constructing a world in which, because your mother was divorced when you were very young, and divorce was quite uncommon in that milieu, that somehow simply you didn't have a father and you weren't allowed to speak or even know anything really about this you know, mysterious person who had been your father and had briefly been your mother's husband. His name was never said. I knew not to say it or ask anything. It was one of those things that was completely foreclosed. It was not, you know, it was not like you could ask a question and be told, well, we're not talking about that. You just knew not to ask. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. 
And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? But don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Sherry's mother remarries a man named Milton Turkle, and together they have two children. These kids think that Sherry is their biological sister, while Sherry silently carries the truth of where she comes from. So often, when secrets are kept, there are times when one is asked to become a secret keeper, and you're a child. You're being told you must keep something as fundamental as your name a secret, and you live in fear of slipping up. There are a few incidents or a few moments when I do slip up. Not many, but there's one in particular when I do. And it's at a Girl Scout meeting. 
and we're going around and you know we're asked to say our name and I say that my name is Sherry Zimmerman and my, my mother is stricken she clearly doesn't know what to do I mean it isn't that she's angry of course she is angry but but more than angry I've outed her she doesn't know what to do looking back I have pity on myself actually because I realized the terrible weight that I was holding because when I slipped up the pain that I caused was terrible and the pain being uttering your real name yes i mean the, the gesture was so tiny it's so natural that i did it i meant no harm you know i was tired it was an evening troop meeting and i'd all day i'd been Sherry Zimmerman at a school that was kind of out of the way and we you know i was sort of sent to a school as far away as possible from where from where our social life was and yet at this meeting i don't know i i just said the truth and the truth was it was an impossible truth it was truly a secret i mean it wasn't like a little secret it was a secret that would fracture this family that was built on a lie and um i really have such pity and compassion for myself and for her who couldn't make a life where this could be known who felt that she couldn't do that it's so interesting too that when you did have that slip it was in front of your mother it could it could have been somewhere else it could have been in some other circumstance where your mother hadn't been in the room but it happened when your mother was in the room yes and many psychoanalyses later i mean i thought on some level was that an act of rebellion well never know but there's there's obviously some part of that could have been wanting to somehow have some moment of truth with her but what happened danny what happened and was so telling was that she didn't yell at me she didn't speak of it we didn't speak for i think 2 weeks and this was a woman who was talking to me all the time i mean our we were talking and talking and our you know our way of relating was to tell stories and talk i mean i got my love of language from my mother she couldn't speak to me for 2 weeks and it wasn't really in anger it was really because she didn't know what to say this was so fundamental this secret was so fundamental i mean she i don't think she knew how to handle it in her circle she was my troop leader she was the leader of this girl scout troop and i think it really raised the question for her as to whether or not she was going to start to tell people or and i think what happened was that people sort of start you know put two and two together and they sort of i think this was a secret that many people knew about but she just let people assume what they wanted to and never confronted it after sherry's not so freudian slip Milton and Sherry's mother decide it's time to pursue Sherry's official adoption for her to take Milton's name. That will make things simpler, right? But there's the small matter of Charles Zimmerman, who objects to the adoption and insists on seeing her. Sherry visits her biological father a few times until her mother puts a stop to the visits. Of course, Sherry yearns to know him. At the custody hearing, the judge turns to her and asks the question, Do you love your father? 
I was afraid to say, no, I don't love my father. I mean, I didn't want to never see him again. So I, I said, yes, I love him. And then I immediately saw my mother turn her face away since this was just, it was like the worst thing that I could have said. And so the judge then says, go over and kiss him. And I made to kiss Charles Zimmerman. And then I look again at my mother, who's again averting her eyes. And I'm taken out of the room. This was actually one of the, for me, most terrible incidents of my childhood, because what it taught me is that when you have a decision, any choice is the wrong choice. Because if I'd said I didn't love Charles Zimmerman, I would never have seen my father again. And if I said I loved him, well, my mother was stricken. And it turned out that I didn't get to see Charles Zimmerman much. I saw him maybe once or twice again. And then my mother found another way to put a stop to it. I mean, my mother was determined that I would not see him very much. She had her own reasons to be frightened of him, which I learned later. Remember how Sherry's mother had received a frightening diagnosis just before buying her that knit hat? Well, that was yet another family secret. The secret of her mother's cancer. It was very common in those days to hide illness from children and even other family members. Doctors and the medical establishment believed this was for the best. Sherry's mother receives a mastectomy and undergoes treatment, but Sherry doesn't know or see. You write something that I was particularly taken with, which is, when we don't want to know the truth, we don't hear the truth spoken to us or we don't see what's plain as day in front of our eyes because we can't afford to. Yes, that whole story of my mother's cancer and how it unfolded, which really was over a nine-year period uh, from her diagnosis to her death, is really a story of my being given a tremendous, or having access to a great deal of information and not putting it together. She didn't want me to know because she wanted me to go away to college. This was her focus. She knew that if I knew that she was as ill as she was, uh, I wouldn't have gone away to college. I would have lived at home and I would have wanted to commute to a college in New York City. I mean, I just would have. That was the nature of my relationship with her. Sherry does indeed go away to college, to Radcliffe in Cambridge, Massachusetts, the university that has long been her dream. She's a brilliant student and finally is exactly where she wants to be. But then in her junior year, during exam week, she receives a call that changes her life. I get a, you know, a, a note from the dean and they bring it to me in the library. Call home, go home go to Brooklyn Hospital. There's no one at home to call, go to Brooklyn Hospital. And I just go. And I talk to a doctor, and as we have a kind of miscommunication, I realize he's telling me my mother has 10 days to live. And I realize, I, I, I behave as though I'm listening to new information, and part of me knows that I know. And I've never forgotten that feeling. I've never forgotten that feeling of almost pretending that I'm learning something new. 
and not knowing if I'm pretending I'm learning something new or am I? It was just an out-of-body experience, and that feeling has never left me. I can read, I can summon it, even as we speak. I was given so many clues that she was ill, and yet I didn't know she was ill. But when I find out, when I'm told she's ill, I almost have to pretend I'm surprised, because part of me obviously knows. And has known something was amiss, and it really raises that question of what we know but can't say. You know what's unconscious. I want to say it was unconscious, because really, if you had said, "Is your mom ill?" I would have said no, and I behaved as though she was not. Sherry's mother dies, and after her death, the dynamic between Sherry and Milton Turkle grows ever more fraught. He refuses to do the paperwork that would allow her to have clearance for her senior year scholarship at Radcliffe. He wants her to stop going to school so she can stand in for her mother and care for her younger siblings. I think he saw no way forward raising these two children. They were eight and 11 by himself. I think he thought that was completely beyond him. And he saw me as the, not only was I the secret keeper, but I was considered sort of the adult in the family. I was the designated adult, which was another, actually a great burden. You know, if there was a handyman coming, if there was a, you know, I was sent to, you know, sort of make sure he did a good job and pay him and get the receipt. And I was kind of the person who was most, even when a child, who was considered most, most capable to sort of deal with the outside world. I mean, this was my family being very insular, the shadow of the Holocaust being weighing very heavily on them. They're wanting to keep to themselves. And in this case, I mean, I just think he felt he, he could not imagine being in charge of what was ahead for him. He used the phrase, you know, in the old country, the eldest daughter would do it. It just was, it was his kind of way of summing up that there was a way of thinking about this where it was a natural thing for me to take this on. I no longer think of it as malevolent. I think it was deeply selfish. I think it was him not being able to put himself in my place. It was the anti-empathy moment of his. It was my learning empathy by having someone behave with no empathy toward me. But I don't know if he wanted to be cruel to me. I think he felt bereft. I think when people feel bereft, they just behave in, in a crazy way and what they see is their self-interest. And I think that's what's happening with, with Milton and his response to me. And so he kind of pulls the ultimate power play and I just leave. In fact, I drop out of college but I don't come home to take care of my sister and brother. I go to Paris. There's kind of running through your story something that I relate to, which is that it's really a story of a survivor, of, you know, sort of ultimately, you might have gone home and taken care of your younger brother and sister, and that would have completely altered the course of your life, and you don't. You do what's necessary to survive and to thrive. Yes. We'll be right back 
deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Wednesday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat and support your weight management journey. And right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com. The lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? But don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Sherry does eventually end up finishing her undergrad and soon after attends graduate school at Harvard, where she studies sociology and psychology. This is where she first encounters the seminal concept, nom du père, name of the father, as developed by French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan. But, you know, when people say to me, well, psychoanalysis is so passe, the notion of the unconscious, why'd you become a psychoanalyst, you know, why'd you get psychoanalytic training, what's the use of it? I always say, well, there's no way for me to experience the story of my life and not believe in the unconscious because I was working through all my life, including yesterday, the fact that I was not allowed to know the name of my father, and yet I never made the connection until deep into my life that the first serious topic that I study in graduate school when it's time to write a thesis, a dissertation, is a psychoanalyst whose theory is based on the importance of the name of the father, who is Jacques Lacan. And I never made that connection. 
my thesis was not particularly on Lacan's theory, it was on the infatuation with Freud in France and why after May 68 did everyone want to become a psychoanalyst. So it was really kind of sociological study. It was kind of an intellectual history mystery. It was a very exciting thesis of, you know, why certain ideas take hold at different times. I never put together that I was studying somebody who studies names of fathers. And then of course I'm in Paris. I'm listening to this lecture about names of fathers. And I find myself weeping. And it hits me that I'm hearing about my own life. You know, it's hard to believe how the unconscious works. Well, of course I'm weeping. I'm there in Paris studying the most important question of my life. And I sort of had to collect myself. And it was a transformative moment. And Lacan is someone who, I mean, to briefly state this theory, he basically is saying that accepting the name of the father is the moment when you take in the social world that psychoanalysis is not just about the family romance, you know, mommy, daddy, you. It's about taking in the rules and the structure of language and the way in which that captures the rules of the social structure in which you live. And that happens by entering into this order that he calls the symbolic order that's where language and society and the social world comes into you with your taking on the father's name. And really when he means the father's name, he means not just the name, but the, the structure, let's say, of that patriarchic society that we live in. You know, that was going to be pretty complicated for me if I wasn't even allowed to say my father's name, or if there was some confusion if there was a father, or a father who had to be erased. Sherry's now in her late 20s, living in Cambridge, still attending Harvard, but she makes frequent trips back to Brooklyn to care for her ailing grandmother. It's during these trips, perhaps spurred on by her graduate studies, that her absent father begins to haunt her, and she begins to actively look for him. On every trip, I would stop at the airport and go through the Manhattan telephone book, because we didn't have a Manhattan telephone book in our home, but there was one at the airport. And I would get to the flight early, or remember one time the flight was delayed, and I would spend as much time as I could copying down Charles Zimmerman's from the Manhattan telephone book, and then of course I tried the Queen's telephone book, and you know whatever telephone books I could find to try to get the names and addresses of all the Charles Zimmermans in New York, trying to figure out who might be my Charles Zimmerman. And this was the beginning. I mean, I did this obsessively, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Charles Zimmermans. I don't know what I was planning to do with these names, write them all, or, you know, I was going to sift through them, or I was starting my quest. Why do you think... Why that moment? Was it because your grandmother was dying? Why at that moment did it become the need to know sort of really just rose up and took hold of you? My compact with my mother to not find my father 
She had not wanted me to find him. She had not wanted him in my life. And that promise, that understanding was with her. And I think that with my grandmother's death, her mother's death, I felt liberated that I would no longer be hurting. You know, that now I, I could now act on my behalf. I could now say, I could answer this question for myself. I think the death of these two women was, was very important to me. And her sister was still alive, and I spoke to her about it. And she didn't like it, but she helped me. My Aunt Mildred gave me a crucial piece of information, that he had been a teacher in the New York public schools. And that was the key piece of information that let me find him. But she didn't know why my mother had left him. She did not know the secret. She did not know the mystery. It's not until several years later, when she has a job teaching at MIT, that Cherry decides to use much of her first year's earnings to hire a detective. Writing random Charles Zimmerman's from the phone book is getting her nowhere. With the help of the detective and a key bit of information provided by her aunt, eventually Sherry does find him, and they meet. It's an epic meeting because I, I write him, and I, you know, I write him a letter, and I, I say that I believe that I'm your daughter, and here are the circumstances uh, that we last met, and I would very much like to renew our acquaintance. As soon as he got it, he called me back, I'd given him a number to call, and um, we make a date for the following weekend. And I go to his house at the time I was married, and I tell my husband, we agree he's going to stay back at the hotel, and I will call him if I need him. And I go to his house, it's in Queens. I'm struck by how he looks like me. I open the door, and it's this moment when I, I'm so, I'm so um, emotionally kind of just taken over by the fact that, of course, I'm looking at someone who looks like me. It's just such an emotional moment. And he says to me, did you find me through the New York Times? At the time, there was like a set of advertisements in New York subways, like, I found my jobs at the New York Times. <laughs> and I'm thinking, did he, was he advertising for me all these years? that I was going to the mailbox and hoping to have like a birthday card or a Hanukkah card or did I find him through the New York Times and I had this moment of warmth and happiness that he'd been looking for me and then he shows me the ad that he's been placing in the New York Times which says E equals MC squared is not correct. Queens high school teacher disproves Einstein and for more information, and there's a post office box. And his ad in the New York Times is about him having a pamphlet that disproves Einstein. He thinks he's, he thinks there was a mistake in Einstein's theory. And then all of a sudden he's talking about Michelson Morley and, and the mistakes in the Michelson and the algebra of Michelson Morley. I mean, he's like into his theory of, how he's disproved Einstein. And he's like completely forgotten that I'm even in the room. I mean, he's like into his disproof of Einstein and giving me, you know, getting copies ready for me. And it turns out that he was 
He was a rogue scientist who had uh, published two books, one on raw food vegetarianism and world peace, where he argues that only people who are raw food vegetarian should be able to lead governments because they'll be more peaceful. And this disproof of Einstein has written several books on that. So bottom line is that as the conversation continues, I learn that my mother left him because when I was a baby, this scientific bent of his had expressed itself by his doing Skinner-like experiments on me, not speaking to me for a certain amount of time and seeing what happened, putting me in a dark room for a certain amount of time and seeing what happened. I mean, all the different kinds of Skinner box experiments that people were doing at that time. Skinner box experiments. Simply put, these were psychological experiments that studied the effects of positive and negative reinforcement using rats. Yes, rats, not humans, and most definitely not babies. And these were secret. My mother didn't know anything about them. And he did them when she was out shopping or visiting, you know, whenever she was not with me. He did them in private. And then once she came back early from going shopping, and she found him at an experiment where he had left me alone in a dark room and was trying to extend the amounts of time that I would tolerate them. So they were deprivation experiments. Uh, at that point, I was one year old. When she found him at this experiment, she called her sister to pick her up and to pick me up. And she packed some diapers and a few pieces of clothing and apparently in some bags from the supermarket. And we went back to my grandparents' house and never returned. And that's the story of our departure and the end of that marriage. And as your father is telling you this story during this meeting that you're having with him for the first time in many years. He's telling it to you, it sounds like, you know, somewhat sort of proudly. Yes, he's very proud of these experiments. I would say I went into a sort of dissociative state where I sort of could see myself sitting there at the table listening to him, watching myself trying to be present to him as I sort of sat at someplace else, maybe across the room watching these two people talk because it was unbearable. You know, I wanted to keep this conversation going. I wanted to not stop him from talking. I, I wanted to hear this story desperately. I wanted to hear about these experiments, but I couldn't bear to. So I sort of had this experience of removing myself and kept a piece of me sitting at the table with the coffee cup, letting him talk to that cherry as part of me just drifted away. It was an experience that I had never really had before. And he tells me this story and then actually I protected myself because I immediately then called my husband because I wanted him to hear all this. You needed a witness. 
I needed a witness and I, I wanted to hear this whole thing over again because I, you know, I just was, by this point, I'm in an altered state. And my husband was a computer scientist and trained a great mathematician. And my husband showed up and now my, my father, Charles Zimmerman, uh, now he has a bona fide MIT mathematician in the room who understands he can read his equations and the Michelson-Morley experiment and the mistakes and, you know, and they're sitting there together and Charlie's like so excited and he's going through the mistakes and the, and I can watch them together as Charlie is explaining how he's right and Einstein is wrong and, and Charlie is getting all excited about how he's going to be famous with these this disproof of Einstein and I understood and over the next many years my understanding would deepen of why my mother had feared this man and had just wanted me to never see him and I I learned to feel a deep and deepening and deepening empathy and compassion and understanding of how she had fled, she had wanted to protect me, she had felt frightened and ashamed, and she never wanted to talk about this. She did not want this to be part of her story and my story. Actually, rabbis who I've spoken to since have said that some might have shunned me as being the child of such a person, as though I might carry his madness. It's even been suggested to me that I would have been unmarriageable. In some Jewish beliefs, she might have even have grown up with that kind of background from a more traditional background than I'm from. I think there was just a lot to it. She was in over her head, and this was something that she had to completely erase. Yeah, it makes so much sense. This is the secret. This secret was not shared with my grandmother. This secret was not shared with her, my grandfather or my aunt. None of them knew this secret. This story of the experiments was something that when I went to my aunt and tell her about Charlie and what I found, this is new to her. You know, she knows that he's bad, she knows that he's crazy, but my mother told her family that she was unhappy in this marriage. But this was a secret she bore alone. She was so frightened of this secret. So this was her secret too. So I was a secret keeper, but she was a secret keeper as well. It took me a while to find a way to tell the story of who Charles Zimmerman was, because it was a lot to talk about the experiments that he had done on me, because I was, you know, in psychoanalysis, and um, I was working through what that meant to me. You know, we'll never know. I'll never know. 
really what that meant to me. But I was certainly talking a lot about it, and it what you know, it's, it it didn't come trippingly off the tongue to talk to people about those experiments because I didn't want to say something facile about them. It was a lot to talk about. It took many years, and I think my psychoanalytic work and therapy to be able to, you know, to kind of uh, talk about and write about what the discovery of Charles Zimmerman had been like as an experience. But I could talk about that I had kept this secret and that it had been corrosive, and I was done with that. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Molly Zakur is the story editor, and Dylan Fagan is the executive producer. If you have a family secret you'd like to share, please leave us a voicemail, and your story could appear on an upcoming episode. Our number is 1-888-SECRET-0. That's the number zero. You can also find me on Instagram, at Danny Writer. And if you'd like to know more about the story that inspired this podcast, check out my memoir, Inheritance. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of endless diets and weight loss struggles? It's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results. Introducing Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD, your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat. Imagine burning fat, balancing glucose levels, and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks. This unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula. Berberine, which targets abdominal fat, and OEA, which curbs your appetite. With just two capsules a day, Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.